Greetings, and welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. I'm Bela Musitz, the host for this episode. This is one of our short video series podcasts where I interview C-level business leaders about building great organizations. These interviews were originally taped several years ago when I was Dean of the Business School at Union Graduate College. I believe they deserve to be re-edited and presented to a broader audience. So here's one of them. Today's guest is David Kruznicki. He is a former hospital CEO. He shares the challenges of running a large community hospital. Hope you enjoy our conversation. hospital, you have a lot of forces tugging you in a different direction. Right? Right. You have regulators, uh, you have the physicians, you have employees, you have yeah. patients, you have the community. So strategically, when you come up with a decision of, are we going to provide this new service or not, that we think the community needs, how do you balance all those forces, particularly given the economics of what's going on? Yeah. So from a strategic perspective, as CEO, how do you approach a problem like that? I wish there were a logarithm or a formula we could simply just plug in some numbers and the answer would spit out at us. It, it, it's not quite that simple. We begin by trying to take an analytic viewpoint to the whole thing. We look at other providers that might provide that or a very similar service. We look at substitute services. Maybe a transportation service can provide the essential access without duplicating the service itself right here in Glens Falls and avoiding a lot of capital costs and other operating costs while still getting to the essence of delivering the service. Uh, we look at, frankly, the, the financial performance. We look at the opportunity for fundraising to help underwrite and subsidize a certain program or service that might be of particular appeal to the population. And, and then we sit down and we look at the menu and the array of other programs and services we provide and how many are financial gains and how many are financial losses. It's a fairly sizable list in the latter category. And we do our best subjective analysis. This is where community board comes in and weighs in heavily. And because that, that, that's where those kind of rationing, it's a word we don't always like to use in healthcare, but yeah, it happens. And that's where we make some of those rationing decisions. Fortunately, we've not had to do that too many times over the years. We've done it in the area of a pain management program. Um, we did it in the, in, with a patient transportation service. We, for a number of years, given that geography, had uh, several vans and buses on the road that would transport patients to uh, needed care, and uh, we couldn't carry that any longer. Right. So we've had to belly up to that from time to time. It's as much subjective as it is quantitative. So David, uh, if I recall, you started fairly early in your career at Glens Falls Hospital, uh, almost uh, as, as a pretty junior level person, and you worked your way up all the way to CEO. Tell me a little bit about that experience and path. Very true. I was there a long time, just shy of 35 years in total. And the path, uh, I guess it was kind of very drifted around, moved in different directions, not terribly straight or linear. Um, maybe a little bit um, atypical in that respect. And it, I guess I have to say, too, it didn't follow a precise plan. Like a lot of career paths, it was subject to a constant process of learning, more than a little bit of good luck and fortitude at certain times, and uh, it's, it's been most enjoyable. Uh, when I uh, initially secured my MBA, which was a, a really valuable credential, it's, uh, uh, oddly enough, I was hired by Saratoga Hospital as their very first ever director of personnel. Mm -hmm of which I knew nothing about. <laughs> 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 
But if they were willing to take a shot with a kid that didn't know much about that field, but was committed to working hard, learning all the time, and doing everything within uh, his capabilities to make a positive difference, I was too. And so uh, we did that, and it was, it was a fascinating year and a half of learning. Shortly after I was there, uh, I had the opportunity to move up the road a little bit to Glens Falls. And I went up there and did what I was trained to do, actually, academically trained. Uh, industrial engineering, management engineering, a lot of workflow studies and things like that, which was, in addition to learning about people from the HR point of view, was probably the next best way to learn about how the hospital work anyway. And the flow of EKGs to patient throughput from the ER to an inpatient unit, everything in between. Oh, what a wonderful education. Uh, still within Glens Falls, I had the opportunity then to begin to be responsible for some different departments and areas. Uh, we had a contractual relationship with a small rural facility in northwestern Saratoga County at the time. And after a few years of paying your dues at Glens Falls and this other area, you were kind of shipped over there. And so I, I got to be the CEO of a small rural place um, with all that that involved. Um, it's, it's closed in the late 80s, like many hospitals have throughout the state. But at the time, it was fairly thriving, and you got to exercise and learn all about being the CEO in this little somewhat microscopic laboratory. Um, but then I ran out of kind of jobs at Glens Falls. Uh, after a few years of doing that and having a wonderful time of learning, there wasn't a whole lot of other places to move to and not a lot of change within the, the structure of the hospital at Glens Falls. And again, by luck, um, I had the opportunity to move down to Blue Cross Blue Shield of uh, Northeastern New York and Albany as a Vice President of Provider Affairs. That was a role of intermediary, if you will, with all the doctors and the hospitals, actually all the healthcare providers, home care agencies and the like, uh, and the insurer. Uh, I was there for all of nine months, and not very long at all, pretty much to warm up the seat and that sort of thing. Because uh, after just a short while down there, the CEO of Clinton's Falls gave me a call and said, you know, we're changing CFOs, Chief Financial Officers, and I'd like you to come back. Much as I loved Glens Falls and enjoyed my years there and would love to go back, I still felt compelled to point out to him that um, I wasn't an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Probably didn't have the credentials to do that job. Yeah. Was flattered he thought of me. He had an interesting insight, which I've tried to keep in my mind over the years. He said, I'm going to give you a checkbook, and you hire the CPAs. God, they're important. But he said, I want a journalist to change the way our finance function works. Because it was all centralized within the realm of our reimbursement guru. He completed the cost reports and he made the numbers sing every year. And we'd get our reimbursement dollar on the dollar. Or if we did a real good job, he did a real good job, we'd get dollar five or dollar ten back. Right. Legitimately and fairly. But that's all changed in the stroke of a pen in January of 1983. So with that kind of a charge, expectation, I was thrilled and came back. Uh, once again, not really qualified to do what I was doing, but having a ball learning yeah. and having an impact. And a few years later, he said, I think we want to make you COO. And, and he said, you know, I'm going to be retiring in a few years. I think you should have an opportunity. And he said, I'm not going to be involved with that selection, but uh, I'm going to see if I can get you exposed to the board, at least to get to know you a little bit. And I wasn't even sure I wanted the job, to be honest with you. I was enjoying what I was doing. That was a lot of fun, and I was learning and growing, and that was good enough for me. He did retire, as he said he would, and um, uh, sort of late in the game, I decided to throw my hat in the ring, and uh, things worked out from there. A quarter century later, I said, well, maybe I should retire from that. So as, as CEO, you 
get involved in hiring individuals, yep. building the team. Yep. So what are some of the characteristics you look for when you're when you're trying to fill out a, a team of either people who report directly to you or, or further on within the organization? Yeah. I have a, a list of 10 or so that are really, really essential. So part of those have to do with the abilities and talents and knowledge base. Um, some of those simply have to do with one's character and attitude. When we're looking for an executive as, as a leader, we, we first look to see if the person knows and and understands the difference between management and leadership. We want to be sure an executive is able to understand and, and apply um, the best discipline of both of those. We also look for um, someone that's able to apply analytic skills. That's, you were asking earlier about changes in healthcare delivery. That's a big one that I've seen over the years. Um, the need for some sophisticated understanding of analytics is more pronounced today than, than, I, than I've ever seen it before. Partly because um, the tools are available for us to look at problems through that lens that maybe we didn't have those tools years ago. Um, another reason might be because so many of the challenges, whether they're rationing challenges or otherwise, are enormously complex and analytic tools help us uh, wade through that and dissect those variables so we can understand them better, weigh them better, and come down to a better decision in, in, in the end. But analytic skills and disciplined decision-making in terms of focus on um, that deductive reasoning that comes from uh, uh, analytics skills is, uh, is, is essential. Uh, another one has to do with communication skills mm -hmm. because you know, a healthcare organization is uh, basically people. I, I, I remind, for 24 years, reminded new employees at orientation, which I, I attended every month, that and I got lots of cards and letters from patients and family members, many, many, and 99% of them are, are a delight and honor to read. 1% is a real tough to read. <laughs> but uh, never gotten one said, uh, Dear Dave, uh, last week my life changed. I was told by my doctor that I had cancer on Tuesday. Wednesday I met my medical oncologist. My treatments began on Thursday. Uh, that radiation therapy you need you have in the cancer center is really slick, glad we had it. <laughs> Nobody's ever written me a letter like that. What I do get every day is, I was diagnosed with cancer last week. I was frightened like I've never been frightened before. When I walked into your cancer center, I felt compassion, I felt cared for, I felt that was safe. Those are the human experiences that that is all about. And that's why communication's on my short list of what we look for in executives. Because if one can't communicate, it begins with listening. Mm -hmm. It's the first and most important communication skills by my bias. Um, that, that, that's absolutely required. Another is obviously basic, kind of goes hand in hand with communication, respect and dignity. You would think that's, oh yeah, everybody has that, but not so much. <laughs> and, and lastly, in executives, we look for one to be present. Um, one interpretation of that is to be visible, be on the bow. Don't, don't be wedded to your desk and your computer screen and so on and so forth. But be out and about because people not need not only that uh, visible presence, but they, they need the support and encouragement that your presence brings. But it's a healthy list, and not everybody has it. And uh, we're lucky if we can find it in some executives. Thankfully, over the years, we've found that at Clemson's. So how do you think about building culture, and how do, you, how do you propagate it? How do you maintain it over time? How do you modify it a little bit when, when it drifts off where you want it to be. Yeah, cultures trump strategy every single time. Um, the, the best uh, carefully crafted uh, 
highfalutin strategy in the world without the culture to mobilize, execute, and bring to life that strategy is, uh, well, fancy three-ring document, uh, binder on some shelf somewhere, I suppose. We, uh, uh, and, and I agree with you, culture always exists, and also culture can be purposefully created, and it can be purposefully renewed. The world is in a state of constant renewal. We as individual human beings are in a state of constant renewal. So we propose to the organization, maybe it's in our best interest and most importantly our patients and community's best interest if we purposefully renew our culture. And we talked about the environment, the pressures, the opportunities, what we're good at, where maybe we can strengthen ourselves. And we came up with a definition. We had all kinds of work groups and focus groups and engagement conversations and notes that we spread throughout the place. I'm sure some were studied carefully and bought into and others were thrown aside, but the point was we went through this process of engagement. Uh, community forums, if you will, town hall meetings and a lot of those said, here's what we're hearing. And it was around the things that wouldn't surprise you. It was around some of those things we, we just talked about. So how do we raise the bar? How do we accelerate our excellence at delivering every one of those things? We introduced a whole bunch of levers to move. One is to create standards of performance. So, you know, yeah, we want to be responsive to one another and to patients. Where do we find responsiveness? Well, being nice to people and reading people by their name, answering the telephone when they call, getting back to them. So we started measuring those simple little things. So it sounds like from what you're describing to me that, that um, you guys just didn't talk about culture. You had a plan yep. and, and implemented that plan. Yeah to build and maintain that culture. Exactly. It's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. It takes a detailed plan. Hard work. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking. If you have any questions about what we discussed or a comment, please get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. We also appreciate it if you would hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcasting app. It helps others find the show. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon.